as you know, China is seeing civil unrest unlike anything that country has witnessed in decades. Millions and millions of Chinese citizens seem to have reached their limit with, um, well, I mean, life-altering restrictions, total lockdowns that have gone on for months and months as the Chinese government continues on its very severe zero-COVID strategy three years after things all went sideways and as most of the world has now moved into a new phase with little to no restrictions at all. Now there are some big questions being asked about where this might all lead. And in a country as influential as China, where it goes and the fallout from that will affect all of us. It already is. Apple telling people, hey, if you're waiting for a new phone, be patient because we're having major issues at our Chinese production facilities. And they're not alone. This will have a trickle-down effect. But first of all, we're going to chat with Gordon Holden, uh, for my money, the go-to guy when it comes to all issues out of China. He's the Director Emeritus of the China Institute, Professor of Political Science and Adjunct Professor of the Alberta School of Business at the University of Alberta. Gordon, thank you so much for uh, joining us. I really appreciate you being here, sir. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Uh, so just help us put this into perspective. What we're seeing play out in China, how unprecedented is it to have protests like this in that country? Well, it's not quite without precedent, but it's almost it's without recent precedent. Yeah. You have to go all the way back to 1989 to see crowds on a national basis in those numbers. And then we'll go into the history in 1919. But this is extraordinary. And I think that the geographic spread, the fact that some of these protests united workers, students, general public, uh, a variety of causes, the, the, the spark being COVID restrictions. But then we began to see other issues emerge. Um, when we take a look at why, why are these kinds of protests uh, very uncommon in China? They Taking part or starting something like this comes with great risk, doesn't it? It does come with great risk. You do see very small-scale limited protests in China fairly frequently. Workers at a factory will march off and complain. The local party leaders yeah. will come to some sort of... This is different. and But there are, and because of that, the risks are greater. Uh, the... Um, surveillance state makes it not that hard for them, not just by filming, but by identifying facial features, by tracking people's apps, by stopping people on the street and looking at their phones. Uh, there is a consequence. We don't know exactly where they are now, but for many it will mean arrest. For others it will mean um, interrogation. Um, and for many it may mean, because they have this social credit system, they may find it hard to travel to fly and it may close off certain jobs or professions or training for them. So when you go to do this, uh, the, the cost is potentially very high indeed. Now, the protesters taking to the streets primarily because of COVID restrictions. That's sort of what started it. But there's the added element that I think is even more uncommon, calling on the end of Xi Jinping as part of government here, calling for him to resign and step down. Um, that really does elevate it to another level, doesn't it? It does. Now, we didn't see that at every protest. I think some people were more cautious. Some people may have been motivated almost exclusively by the COVID shutdowns. But the fact, when you had those numbers gathering, that you began to see uh, some individuals go off message, that is, off just COVID, and starting to criticize the president, to criticize the party, and ask for, for freedom, press freedom, holding up blank pieces of paper showing mm -hmm. that they're censored. Uh, these sorts of things are what makes... The party, very nervous indeed. Um, where does this go in, in your mind? Uh, I know the government has announced some changes to restrictions. Uh, I mean, you could even say capitulating in some ways. Does that surprise you? 
Well, yes and no. Uh, the party stayed in power for a very long time, partly because it has an ear to the ground, and when they must, they will adjust, um, not always happily, uh, because this policy has been personally, that is the zero COVID policy, personally endorsed and led by Xi Jinping. Uh, but um, And for that reason, it's particularly challenging for the party because he's associated with it. In the past, you had presidents sometimes who would have a, a fairly prominent prime minister or a minister, they could fire that person. She takes claim, takes credit for everything. And he gets mm. that credit when things go well, and he gets a stick when it goes badly. I think a lot of people fear that this will end violently, uh, as we've seen before, and there's, uh, the crackdown is inevitable, and it will happen. Uh, is that your anticipation, too? Eventually. Uh, the, the think that the state right now has enough means at its disposal to contain these protests. Uh, keep in mind that the, um, many of these people have already been arrested or detained or warned. Uh, they'll be scrubbing the Internet and looking for others who are passing on these messages. What the party really fears, in my view, is not just a few spontaneous demonstrations, although they don't like that, but any sign of organization or ringleaders. So that I think that they have that still in hand. And quite frankly, from just knocking a few protesters around and arresting them, they've got a lot of escalation uh, options. They have water cannon, they have tear gas, and then they have lethal force. So I think for the time being, they have it in hand, and they're going to try and buy some time by loosening restrictions. In the longer run, uh, and who knows how long that will be, I'm not great at predicting the future, um, this, these challenges may reemerge. But we have learned from these that below the surface, it looks very calm. There is a lot of unhappiness, not yeah. just with the COVID policies, but with uh, the party. And that you're absolutely right. I mean, sometimes it may not be this round of protest that leads to something, but it sparks something, right? It ignites a spirit of rebellion where they see that, hey, you know what? Actually, if we do rise up, we can affect change. So could this just be the start of, of more, do you think? I think that given that the Chinese people, they have to be living in a cave, I think, if you live in a Chinese city, not to be aware of these protests, even though there's, they're scrubbed from the media. I think that this makes it more feasible or more likely that other circumstances, you know, don't know which ones, might generate some protests. And it's interesting as well that young people who've never known other than than maybe one or two Chinese presidents, they were often in the lead in these demonstrations. However, you could also have a situation which I think is just as likely, maybe more likely, that at some point the higher-ups in the party get tired of Xi Jinping and you have some sort of a coup or uh, at the top. That's how the Soviet Union ended. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't through mass mass mobilization. But this will make them nervous, and it will, they won't sleep as soundly in Zhongnanhai after these events. What about what this means to the rest of the world? I mean, China is so massive and influential and you know, economically tied to you know, Canada, for example. And we already know Apple has had some issues and said, hey, your iPhone that you were hoping for for Christmas may not happen because of what we're dealing with. I mean, it will have ripple effects for all of us, including those of us here in Canada, won't it? Absolutely. And of course, the COVID policies there, uh, that is in China, were part of the problem, not the whole problem with our supply chain issues. And, and those will persist. Uh, if they, if China were to eliminate all its COVID restrictions, they almost certainly would have uh, outbreaks with very large numbers of folks infected. I mean, more of a threat to the elderly than to the young. Um, but either way, you know, they loosen up quickly and there's more spread of the disease, or they keep the same very rigid policies in place. Uh, we will and are affected, absolutely.
Um, Gordon, as always, thank you so much for your insight. I appreciate it. It's very kind. Thank you. Thank you. That's Gordon Holden, who uh, is the Director Emeritus of the China Institute, Professor of Political Science and an adjunct professor at the school, uh, Alberta School of Business at the University of Alberta. And like I said, he, he's, he's the go-to. He's the guy. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone. Like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.